I have a, a short message, an exhortation more than anything else. I'm going to be speaking from a couple of, actually three passages uh, in the New Testament, which are the kind of passages that preachers avoid because they're a little bit challenging. Okay? But what do I know? I like to get myself in trouble. Here's a, here's a cool story that happened recently. Elsie um, and I were going to visit a friend of ours last Thursday uh, up in, uh, at Bayview Village. So we live in Young and Lawrence. We're driving up Bayview towards Bayview Village, Bayview and, and uh, Shepherd. And as we're driving along, as most of you know, there are um, uh, a bunch of synagogues on Bayview. And I thought to myself, I said out loud to Elsie, Elsie, you know, I would love, I would love to be able to meet a rabbi. Like, have a me- I have met rabbis before, but I'd love to have a, a meaningful conversation with a rabbi because uh, you know, even when I do my reading and even when I, you know, I went to seminary and whatnot, I would hear the Christian version of what Jews believe, the Jewish faith. And I... Um, and I would just love to be able to sit with a, a guy who knows his stuff, and not just any rabbi, a rabbi who believes, because they're, they're rabbis who you know, don't believe anything. But, but I want a rabbi who believes in the Torah, in the Talmud, you know, who, who, who is serious about his faith, who has convictions about his faith. And so I'm, I'm telling that, 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 that to Elsie. We arrive at Bayview Village. We walk into a Roma Espresso bar. It's a coffee bar, everybody, not a... Uh, and a coffee bar, and, um, and there's this Jewish man with a yarmulke on. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, this man is a rabbi. So I go right, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty shy, reserved person by nature, typically. But I walk right up to this man and says, excuse me, sir, are you a rabbi? He says, yes, I am a rabbi. I'm a rabbi of the Beth uh, Tigva thing, right, just across the street. And I said, well, this is fantastic because I've been, I've, I just prayed with my wife that we would be able to meet a rabbi, and here you are. This is kismet. This is meant to be. So uh, in a couple of weeks after we come back from our trip, well, I, I'll have a chance to sit down in this man's office and just talk to him about, about stuff. What do you think about uh, the creation story? What do you think about, uh, uh, you know, different things? What do you think about the, what do you think about the Christian uh, belief about salvation by faith in Jesus. What do you think about you know those kinds of questions? It's going to be wonderful to be able to talk to him about that. Yeah, very very nice friendly man, friendly very nice friendly man. So so the whole point of sharing that is just how amazing God is in answering prayers that we actually don't even pray. I didn't stop for any moment. I didn't stop the car, close my eyes, and say, Jesus, uh, would you please bring me a rabbi to talk to? I just said, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? And he just made it happen like that. Boom. Tickety. I love it. This is the kind of God that's so intricately involved in our lives. So, so you know, he hears the, even the unspoken desires of our hearts. And in his timing, in his way, he's able to respond to it, because by the way, this is just a new idea of mine. I've been wanting to meet a rabbi for a long time. So anyway, there we go. I just love Jesus, don't you? I love him. I love him. I love him. Okay, um, let me put my timer on because today is potluck Sunday, and so we have to finish on time. 
So give me a moment to just press a, a button here so I, I, I don't go over. Bam. Okay, everybody. Uh, for the last little while, there have been sort of two themes that uh, I feel the Holy Spirit's been bringing to my attention. The first theme is uh, um, the reality or the fact that so many people, not everybody, but so many people in my world that, I'm, uh, that I have contact with are going through hard things. So a, couple of, a few Sundays ago, I preached on enduring hardship, one of my better messages, and I loved it. I should listen to it myself. But um, I preach this message because there are so many of us that, you know, where there's sickness going on in our bodies. Some of us have relational challenges, work stuff, financial things. So many, I mean, we, are, we live in a broken world, okay? So we will always have these things. It just seems to me that it's sort of heightened. I'm also listening to other people speak, all the pastors and people speaking about these things, and they're addressing that in their own way. They're addressing this issue that we're, you know, we're, we're going through difficult things, and some of us, you know, we all very, we want to hype everybody up, you know, your, your problem, uh, um, if, you, if you persist in your problem, how, how do you say it? If, you, if your problem, sorry, your problem will eventually have a payday. Your problem will eventually have a payday. I thought it sounded good. Because what, what the guy was saying is that if you keep going and trusting God, eventually you'll have your breakthrough and everything will be, will be awesome. Uh, the whole point of it is simply saying that there's many people that I'm aware of who are speaking to the issue that we're just going through a hard thing. And then for us at Catch the Fire and in our world, you know, we've been waiting for 25, 25 years for this promise of another wave. Those of you who are familiar with Cash the Fire, 25 years ago, the Holy Spirit was poured out over this little church at the airport, and uh, things just exploded. Um, you know, there's joy, and people came, thousands and thousands. In fact, four million people came over the course of 12 years, and many of, them, many of us got refreshed and renewed, and it was an amazing time of the presence of God, and ministry was so easy. You didn't even have to say anything. People would be touched by the Holy Spirit, falling over, crying, laughing. Juicy, juicy stuff, because life was so easy. Ministry was so, so easy. Back then, but then even then, when the Lord poured out His Spirit, His promise was, "This is only the appetizer, yeah. right? There's more to come. There's another wave to come." And we've been, some of us have been waiting, and some of us have, you know, just been waiting for a long time, and some of us are tired, and and we're drained, and everything else. And but the picture that I have in mind is that when a wave comes, right, and a wave crashes in on shore. Um, for there to be another wave, it has to recede, isn't it? The wave has to recede. And when the wave recedes, you see a lot of things on the shore, on the beach. You see, you see you know, uh, broken bottles and plastic bottles and plastic bags. And you see beautiful things as well. You see starfish and everything else. Uh, but then after the, the first wave has receded, then it comes again in great power, doesn't it? And so it feels like right now we're in that place where the river, uh, sorry, the, the wave is receding way, 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 way back. And, the, and it's been a long time waiting that the beach has become dry 
and you know very unappealing and and so on and so forth. Uh, but so, but I do believe with all my heart that the Father really does want to pour out His Spirit again. And if you if you're listening to to the prophetic words by the prophets, that you know things are about to happen, right? 2020, 2019, all that juicy stuff. So 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 what I'm about to say is within the context of all those things. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was speaking to a man who have given the right to ask me questions, like personal questions. He's sort of a, he's become a spiritual director of sorts. Like he, he's, we've agreed that he can, he can give me some advice, some direction about my own spiritual life. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were on a, on a Skype call and um, he asked me the question, so how is your devotional life doing? How is your devotional life? How is your devotional life? And, and, and so most of us, if you're like me, most of us would say, well, you know what, it's not doing so good because I'm not reading my Bible enough, I'm not praying enough, or I'm doing great. In fact, my answer was, I'm doing fine because I'm on this Bible reading plan. I'm reading the Bible every day for half an hour at least, okay? And, and I'm praying as I read the Bible, and I still love my wife. She treats me well. We're on keto diet, and we're losing weight, and we're looking fantastic. And so I give him all, the, all, these, all these answers to the question, how's your devotional life? So he stopped me in the middle of it. He says, well, that's nice that you're doing all these things, you're reading the Bible and whatnot. But what I was really asking is, how, is you, how are you devoted to Jesus? How is your relationship with the person of Jesus? I'm not asking what you do. Well, I'm not asking about your spiritual disciplines. I'm asking about how is your relationship with Jesus? How is, your, how is your connection to the person of the living God, who though invisible, we can actually have a relationship with him and we can hear his voice, we can have experience of him in different ways, and we can live a life knowing the voice of God. And so that's been, the, that's been a challenging question for me, because the f- truth, truth of the matter is, that um, in, some ca- in some ways, it's so much easier to just read the Bible. It's hard enough as it is, but it's even easier to read the Bible than to actually be a t- to sit and be attentive to his voice speaking to me. Anybody else like that or just me? I'm happy just to be alone, unique. I love to be unique. So I'm going to talk to you about three uh, passages of Scripture, which, um, first of all, are challenging to read themselves, but then challenging to teach on. Um, So here we go. Help us, Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 22. James, the brother of Jesus. Most people think he was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. Here's what James said. Uh, in, in James chapter 1, verse 22. Be, uh, but be doers of the word, James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That one sentence alone, brothers and sisters, speaks about the condition, in my mind, in my opinion, speaks about the condition of the church in the West right now. Because we are supremely content to hear the word, 
to flick on the TV, to flick on the internet, and listen to our favorite preachers, and, and get wowed by Bill Johnson giving us wonderful statements, or, 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 or who, who's your favorite guy? T.D. Jakes, it's theatrical stuff, and it's entertaining, and meaningful, and really good stuff, and we hear those words, and we hear the message, and we receive it, oh my gosh, what a fantastic message, he gives such great illustrations, you know, I love his story about this, I love her story about that, it's great stuff, and we get to, we get to parse the message, we get to, we get to uh, analyze the message, and here's what we don't like, here's what we like, et cetera, et cetera. And we do, that, we do that by ourselves or we do that over lunch on Sunday afternoons or Sunday lunchtime. We get to do that. But here's what James is saying. You can do that if you want, but if you're not taking what God is saying to you and applying it to your life, you are like a guy who stands in front of a mirror, Right? He stands in front of a mirror, he looks at himself, and then he walks away from the mirror and promptly forgets what he looks like. That is what you're doing. If we're, that's what we're doing. I'm speaking to myself as well. If we're only into hearing good messages from our favorite speakers or actually even reading the Bible ourselves. If we, if we read the Bible and it's fantastic, we get a good message, but we don't actually apply it to our lives we are actually deceiving ourselves, is what James says. That's pretty strong stuff. You're deceiving yourselves. If, uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I feel, brothers and sisters, this is where, where so much of us are. We, are actually, we think we're doing great because we've gone to church and we've heard a message or we listen to somebody on, on, on the internet and it's our favorite speaker, and we love it, and we can tell other people what T.D. Jake said or what Benny John, Ben Johnson said or whatever. But if we don't apply what the Father is saying to us. I said this a couple of Sundays ago, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, I'll say it again. The people who stand in this pulpit, whether it's me or Amanda or David, whoever, Kayan, whoever stands in this pulpit, uh, our responsibility is to listen to the Holy Spirit and to, and to find from him what he wants to say to you as the hearers in the congregation. That's our responsibility. And we'll stand before God one day to give account for that. Serious. The people in the congregation, that means you, are responsible for hearing what God is saying to you, even if the message is boring people. Even if, the, even if the preacher is boring, okay? Even if, what he, even, even if the message doesn't really, it's not touching my situation. Even if the message isn't touching my situation personally right now, we are still responsible to hear what the Father is saying through this human vessel and through the Word of God. We're responsible for hearing it and then finding what he's speaking to me and then applying it to my life. Is that not true? Am I speaking out of a turn? Or is this not the word of God? Shakabungu, come on. Mm. I believe if we do this with greater intentionality, if we take the word of God, whether it's a big thing or a challenging thing or whatever it is, if we take it and by faith, with his help, with the empowerment of his spirit and apply it to our lives, 
our, our, our lives are going to be so much different individually and, 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 and corporately. And the impact that we will make on society will be so much more powerful. We, we've become a church in the West that's so, dare I say it, anemic, lifeless, powerless. So that's James chapter 1 for us. A tragic mistake in the church today is that we're not doers of what God is saying to us. Matthew, 20, Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23. Most of you know that in, the, in addition to reading through the Bible uh, this year, I'm also focusing on the book of Matthew and I'm also focusing on the book of Hebrews because I just want to read those many times and get, just get them into my system. And I, towards, the end of the book, uh, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, here is what Jesus says. And it's very challenging, so prepare yourself, brace yourselves for this. Put your seatbelts on. Here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer, evildoers. Matthew 7, 21, 23. Now I want you to know, first of all, when Jesus speaks like this, he's not speaking like this to push you away. To push you away. He's speaking like this to, to draw you to him, to, to, to get you to respond to what he's, what he's asking of us. When I was in my uh, early Christian days um, as a good evangelical, I was part of a mission agency. As soon as I got, you know, recommend, recommended my life to Christ, I got involved in, in a mission organization, and it was great. We went preached the gospel, people got saved, it was wonderful. But it was sort of like a, we were flirting with uh, cessationism, which basically means that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifest gifts of the Holy Spirit, are stopped functioning when the Bible was formed and when the apostles died. So, so there's no more need for you know, signs and wonders and miracles. All right? So that, that's sort of what I was. I wasn't totally on board, but I was, that was a group I was part of. In fact, it was, it was in our contract that we had to sign that we're, you know, this is what we believe. So anyway, so when I hear a passage like that, here's what I thought. You see those Pentecostals over there? You see those Charismatics? They're in danger, man. They're doing signs and wonders and miracles, but they're in danger of being rejected by Jesus. Read the word right there. They're in danger of being rejected. And in my immaturity, I thought that's, what, that's, how, to, that, that's how I should interpret that verse. But then, <laughs> I met people like Ian, came to the airport church, and realized that the Spirit of God is still moving powerfully, healing people, saying I'm free, doing signs, one of the miracles, and I'm totally loving it. I'm married to a prophet. Oh my gosh. I had some major theological changes to make. So here's how I read this passage now. You see, in the first century, when, when, when Jesus wrote this, 
and the people who were interacting with him, Christians, Christians, not just the apostles or special people, but Christians did signs, wonders, and miracles. They cast out demons. They did exactly what Jesus said they should do. They were doing it. In other words, in other words they, were, they were displaying the normal characteristics of a normal Christian, the normal evidences of being a Christian. Right? Jesus, look, we cast out demons, man. We heal the sick. We were doing exactly what Christians are supposed to do. How can you say that uh, you don't know us? Right? So, so that's the first century. What are the typical evidences of being a Christian in Toronto, April 14, 2019? Well, I go to church on Sunday. I tithe, I give my money sometimes to the church. Oh, most, most importantly, I'm a nice person. Everybody knows me to be a nice person. I'm really nice. You can push me around and I'm going to smile. I'm really nice. And there may be other evidences. I, my, 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 my doctor is a Christian. My dentist is a Christian. My kids go to Christian school. You know, that's, 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 the, that's the contemporary context in which we understand us being Christians. Oh, yeah, I do read the Bible, sure. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's possible to be doing all those things, to have the actions of, of or exhibiting behavior of being a Christian, but your heart is not inflamed with a love for me. Here's why I say that, because he says the people who do the will of the Father, those are the ones that we will receive, the ones who do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? What is doing the will of the Father? Well, there are many different things. I'll give you one or two main things. In fact, one main thing. Uh, this, this priest, uh, this leader came to Jesus and said to him, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, what is the Father's will for my life? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Old Testament. That's not, that's not New, New Testament, right? He's quoting from the Old Testament. This is what pleases the Father. This is the Father's will. Loving Him with all of our hearts. Right? We're part of a family. God is our Father. We are His children. And in any healthy family, there is not just good behavior, but there's also affection. There's also passion. There's also love being displayed for each other. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to have such a love for him, such a desire for him. So, um, in, in John chapter 15, um, he says, Abide in me or remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the will of the Father. This is, this is doing God's will, abiding in Jesus abiding in him. In other words, it speaks of an, an intimacy with him, a relational thing with him. I remember one time, you know, um, we, we evangelicals, we have lots of little catchphrases, and we, and we still say it. I used to say it quite a bit. You know, Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship. 
right? We, that's, it's true, by the way, it's true. It's not a false statement, it's a true statement. And I used to, we all used to say this all the time to everybody when we were talking to people about Jesus. It's about a relationship. Until one day the Holy Spirit said, said to me, oh yeah, how is your relationship going? How is your relationship going? It's already 20 minutes. My gosh, so fast. Okay, how is your relationship going? And the point there simply, the Father Jesus is inviting us to pursue Him. Yes, the behavioral stuff will follow, but don't make the behavioral stuff the main thing. Make personal relationship with a personal God your priority. Love Him. Get to hear his voice. Get to spend, just be with him. Just, just invite him into everything you're doing. Just be with him. Just long for him. Let your heart become lovesick for this Jesus who happens to be our bridegroom, God. This is the kind of relationship he's, he's inviting us to. And then everything else will fall into place. Amen? Okay. Last thing. Um, Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. I wouldn't take time to read it. Um, most of you probably know the story. Matthew 25, it's actually a parable that Jesus gave about what the kingdom of God is like. Matthew 25, the very first couple, first uh, 13 verses. He says, listen guys, there, the kingdom of God is like this. There were 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come. Right? And uh, five of them were, were wise and five were foolish. The first five were wise because they kept their supply of oil, right? Even though they had to wait a long time and it was longer than they thought they had to wait, they kept on waiting and waiting. It was five years and then 15 years and then the wave of the bridegroom was going to come and it was 25 years, we're still waiting for the bridegroom to come. We're waiting and waiting and waiting for the bridegroom and uh, but they were smart because they kept their oil supply full. They kept buying oil. They kept buying oil so they'd always have enough oil because he could come at any moment. The five foolish virgins were the ones who uh, didn't keep their supply of oil full. And so all of a sudden, at midnight, it says, in the middle of the night, the bridegroom showed up, and the people started shouting, hey, the bridegroom is here. And so they, they, the, the, the virgins got themselves ready together, and the ones who had enough oil, they would trim the wick of their, of their uh, lamp to make, to make the light brighter, because it's nighttime, so they're, they're ready. And then the, why, the, the foolish one says, can you please give me some of your oil because I'm running low on oil. I'm running out of oil. Can you give me some of your oil? And the wise virgins, people, here's what they said. No, we're not going to give you. Spirit, Holy Spirit-filled virgins who love Jesus and who know the Word of God and who have a generous spirit, they said no. I, I, when I first read that, or at some point I read that, I thought, that's so weird. If these guys are meant to represent spirit-filled Christians who are you know, really tight with Jesus and everything, how can, they be, how can they say no to their fellow brother and sister who needs them? He said, no. And so the Holy Spirit said to me, well, here's the deal. Because I asked him, Lord, what does this really mean? How could this be? He says, um, he says uh, everybody... Every virgin, everybody is responsible for their own relationship with me. Their own relationship with me. 
Yes, we believe in impartation. We believe in praying for each other and, and helping people and giving a spark to people so they can, they can get spurred on in their walk with God. But everybody remains responsible for their own relationship with Jesus. And so I can't give you my relationship with, 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 with I can't give you my connection with him. You've got you've to get your own connection. I can pray for you, yeah, I, can, I can impart uh, as the Holy Spirit leads, but everybody be, remains responsible for their own relationship. So here's my charge to us, brothers and sisters. Let's buy oil. Let's, don't, let's not get tired. Let's not get uh, overcome, overwhelmed, discouraged by whatever's happening in life. Life is life, man. Come on. Life is life. And we, we've got it better off than... 99% of the people on the planet anyway. You see the amount of suffering the Christians are going through in China and India and parts of Africa right now? We've got very little to complain about, really, in real life. So, what, so, so let's buy oil. Let's continue to pursue God. Let's continue to go after Him. Let's push aside all the tiredness, all the distractions, all the discouragement, every single thing that would want us to shift our focus away from him, intimate relationship with him, and, and, and become you know, less, than what we, less than what he's called us to be and to do, isn't it? Can I share one quick story as it popped into my brain, one quick illustration of this? It has to do with healing. There was a guy who used to come to the airport church um, back in the day. He was a, had a tremendous healing ministry. Like he was well noted as a, somebody who was able to bring physical healing to lots of people by the, by the power of the Spirit. He had given his, his time, his focus and attention. He was gifted to do that. So he, had been, he, he came at least twice to the airport church. And um, I, you know, I wanted to become better at praying for the sick and so on. And so this man, whenever he showed up, amazingly enough, whenever he showed up, uh, and back in those days, they would come for a whole week. We had nightly meetings, okay? And so people would come for an entire week of ministry to do ministry for a whole week. And so I would get to hang out with this guy. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, when I was praying for the sick, when I, you know, we would pray for people on lines, the, the, the um, effectiveness, my rate of effectiveness actually increased when this guy was around. And even when he left, like for a week or two or maybe three, I would pray for people and people would actually get healed. Right? Um, but then after a while, you know, something would happen. Somebody wouldn't get healed. And then before too long, I'm back to where I was before. Then a couple of years after, this guy would come again and the same thing would happen. He would be there ministering for a whole week and I would be able to to see a greater effectiveness. Same prayers, as far as I, same prayers, I think is the same faith level that I had, but uh, the effectiveness w w was diminished until the Holy Spirit said to me, you were, you were operating under this man's anointing, the corporate anointing that he released, you were tapping into that, okay? You were buying oil temporarily, you are borrowing oil from him, okay? But what you, what, you, what you weren't doing, Ramesh, is you weren't taking that oil and making it your own. Do you follow what I'm trying to say there? You weren't making it, that anointing that was released, 
you weren't pressing in for it, you weren't persevering for it, you weren't, you weren't doing what needed to be done in order for that anointing to become yours. Yes, you wanted to pray for the sick to see them get healed, you wanted to have a ministry in that area, but you weren't, you, you, you weren't pressing in for it. You weren't ex exercising faith and, and doing all the things that you, you're supposed to do to demonstrate faith, one of which is perseverance. So I say that to you to say, we need to keep on persevering, isn't it? Amen? Can we all stand for a moment and we'll pray and then we'll go eat some lovely food downstairs. Everybody okay with this? We're all saved, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of a verse like Matthew 7, right? Because it's the whole counsel of God. We don't get saved by works. We get saved by Ephesians 2. Write this down, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by faith, by grace through faith that we are saved. Right? Amen? So Ephesians 2, that's how we get saved. Let's do some uh, quick ministry time, okay? If you're up for this, if you want to put your hand on your heart, if you would like. And let's just ask God to make a fresh deposit of his spirit in us, to a fresh release of his spirit to fuel us, to empassion us, to desire him, the person of Jesus, even more than the trappings of being Christians. You may want to, if you, if you, you may want to repent. Just give the Lord the state of your heart right now. If you're in that place where um, you're less inclined to pursue Jesus, an intimate relationship with Him, if you're less inclined to do that and more inclined to just do the the motions of the Christian life, just give Jesus the state of your heart. He's gracious and merciful, and like I said at the beginning. Whenever he challenges us like this, it's for us to come to him. Not, he's not here to push us away. So, Father, I come to you and I acknowledge that there's coldness in my heart towards you, Jesus. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me of my cold-heartedness, of my hard-heartedness? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come that you will reawaken passion in my heart for Jesus. But I don't want to just go through the motions of doing the Christian thing. Lord, I want to be on fire for you, Jesus. I want to be burning, for, burning with affection for you, God. I want to be exploding on the inside whenever I think of you and how amazing you are. And how worthy you are of praise and glory and honor. How worthy you are for our attention, of our attention, God. We love you, Jesus. We really do. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, bless your people this morning. I ask for a fresh release of your spirit across this room. Lord, you see every single heart. 
You see every single heart in this place. You know the condition of each and every heart. And you're a gracious and loving and merciful and kind God. And I ask that you would come and meet us, Holy Spirit. Come and meet us. Let the breath of God just blow through this room right now. Fresh breath of heaven right now. Removing all the cobwebs, cobwebs, all the dust. Lord, let there be a fresh river of joy and freedom and, and, and thanksgiving and delight in you, Jesus. Let it fall upon our hearts. Let it be stirred up in our hearts. And we worship you and we love you. We express our devotion to you because it's real from the inside out. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Some of us may have to fast if we feel the Holy Spirit calling us to do that. He's always going to ask us to, to do something uh, in obedience. So be attentive to His voice and do what He says. And our hearts will truly burn for Him in a fresh new way. Amen? Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Lord bless the food as we go to enjoy a meal together, have face-to-face, eye-to-eye connection. Amen. Bless everybody.